Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you today. We're continuing here in our sermon series, uh, looking through the uh, the Apostles' Creed. This is a great summary of faith. We're asking ourselves, what is it that we, what do we believe? What are the core teachings of our faith? And uh, it's important because what we believe determines our life. And what you believe determines how you view the world, how you view yourself, what you pursue in life. And if we believe, as Scripture teaches, that life is eternal, what you believe has eternal implications on your life. So it's very important to just reground ourselves uh, in, in understanding what is it that we, that we really believe. And we, we're turning to this ancient summary of faith, an ancient creed of the church. And uh, this creed is, uh, its origins are of so old that it, it cuts across things that otherwise would divide Christians. It, uh, Catholics hold to the Apostles' Creed, and Protestant traditions hold to the Apostles' Creed, and uh, Orthodox traditions, don't, they don't use the Apostles' Creed so much, but they would use something like the Nicene Creed, which is very similar, just a little bit more elaborate of the uh, Apostles' Creed. But it, it's, it, we share these, they would share these beliefs. So across, across traditions, we, we share these core teachings. And uh, today we're going to look at the phrase that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Ghost and born of the Virgin Mary. Today we're going to see that what we believe is that Jesus entered this earth both fully God and fully human, that Jesus was the God-man. And our whole faith hinges on, on the truth of this. Uh, and it, by that I, I mean this. I got, uh, not too long ago I received a a tear-off in the, when we get tear-offs in the offering plate. And sometimes we'll get a prayer request that somebody hasn't, you know, it doesn't have a name on it, but we'll pray for you. And this time it was a question that somebody asked, but there was no name attached to it. And, oh, if you have comments and suggestions, I don't ever, and there's no name on it, I don't ever see those. They don't, this, they get, I don't ever see them. Uh, they don't ever get to me. But if there's a prayer request or a question like that, I, I did get it. And it, the question was this. How do you know that our religion is true and that other, others are false? And I wish the person had put their name because that's a fantastic question. And I know a lot of people, it's, that's the most important question. How do we know that what we believe is true? And so I batted it around at a, at a staff meeting just for fun to say, well, how would you respond to this person if, if this person asked you, how do you know what you believe is true and that other things are not true? And it boiled, with a lot of different ways that we could tackle it, what it boiled down to was the question was this, was Jesus God in the flesh? Did God come to this earth, break through into humanity, and, and walk and talk? Because if he did, then, that, then that's it. If God came and said, this is what life is about, and this is what is true, and as Jesus said, I am the truth, if Jesus was God, then, then that changes everything. And that's the question we need to go at first. Who is Jesus? And so we're going to explore some of the implications of the fact that Jesus came fully human, fully God, what that means for us today. Now, if you're asking questions like that, questions like, how, do, how can we be certain? Don't stop searching. Don't stop asking. Don't stop at easy answers or comfortable answers that sound nice or uh, sound uh, just sort of easy. 
there's a lot at stake here. And I believe all of life and death is at stake in how we answer the question, who is Jesus? And, and that God did enter this world conceived by the Holy Ghost, born, uh, conceived by the Holy Ghost in his divinity and born of the Virgin Mary in his humanity. And um, we're going we're to explore this today. So let's pray as we do that. Father God, you're good to us, and we acknowledge that we come to you as we gather in this place. We come from very different places and backgrounds. Our relationship to you, some of us are very uh, confident in you and uh, eager to gather and worship you. Others of us are struggling in our faith. Others of us are just exploring what this might mean for us, Lord. I thank you that you are a God who loves us enough to meet us where we are at. And I pray that even in this, in this time, you would open hearts, that you would reveal yourself to us as you really are. So we, we just humbly ask you to do that good work. Lord, we ask it in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So Jesus was, Jesus was human, and that's, that's very well attested in history, in the Bible, and in and sources beyond the Bible. There's no serious historians uh, who, can, who easily would make the case that Jesus never existed, unless, of course, that historian was specifically trying to uh, make a case that Jesus never existed. But for the most part, uh, a broad agreement that Jesus was human and lived. But Jesus was also fully God. Uh, scripture teaches that in Colossians chapter 2, for in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Uh, the, his followers attested to that. Even his, Jesus' opponents realized that that's what Jesus was claiming. They, uh, there was one account where uh, they picked up stones to stone Jesus, and they said, we will stone you because you, a mere man, are claiming to be God. And Jesus was claiming to be and to be able to do things that only God could do. And of course, by his teaching and his actions, he, Jesus demonstrated that he was fully God. Most notably, or most importantly, by his resurrection from the dead. And we're going to talk about the resurrection later in this series. But Jesus rose from the dead, demonstrating that he indeed is God in the flesh. And so Jesus is fully God, fully man, and it's all possible because we believe that he was conceived by the Holy Ghost and born of the Virgin Mary. But you may ask, why is that such a central theme? Why would that, if you were going to summarize the Christian faith into core beliefs, why would this virgin birth thing be on your list? Because you might be tempted to say, you know, I believe in Jesus, and I, I believe in his teachings, and I'm a Christian, but I'm not sure about this virgin birth thing. It sounds a little, it sounds like religious myth. It, it's sort of too legendary and a little bit of just kind of an extra flourish. It just, it, it just reeks of religious myth, like other religious teachings have these kind of fantastic stories. It's a little far-fetched. So I'm not really sure about that. But what I would say to you this morning is that the virgin birth is not just flourish that God put on the arrival of Jesus. It's not just bells and whistles to make it more miraculous. It was absolutely necessary. Jesus had to be born of a virgin, fully God, fully man. He had to do that to be your savior. So if you don't 
If you don't accept that Jesus uh, was born of a virgin, you may not understand what Jesus came to do and why it was necessary. And I want to point it out to you. Uh, three things from this text. Now, this text comes from the book of Hebrews. And Hebrews is just a beautiful picture of who is Jesus really? And comparing Jesus, the first couple chapters where we're in this morning is comparing Jesus Jesus being greater than the angels and then Jesus is greater than Moses and greater than the covenants and great, the greater high priest. That Jesus is just greater than everything. And so here this section is more about how Jesus is greater than the angels and that this isn't, Jesus' work isn't primarily about angels, it's about people. Uh, but it gives us three reasons why Jesus had to be fully human and, and fully divine, fully God. I want to give you these three things. The first is this. Jesus had to be fully human and fully God to defeat human death. Look at verse 14 and 15 on the back of your bulletin. It says, since children have flesh and blood, since the children have flesh and blood, he too, that's Jesus, Jesus shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. So Jesus came to destroy human death. And to destroy human death, you have to enter human death. And to enter human death, you have to be a human. And again, the realm of death is under, it's, it's, that's the realm of Satan, as it says here. It says Satan has the power of death. Now, that does not mean that Satan has the power to go around and zap people or kill them. Uh, what, what this means, Satan, that's his realm. Satan is, is the master of, of lies and deceit and sin, the author of sin and, and, and causing humans to sin. Sin separates us from God and creates death. That's what we're talking about here. Physical death Yes, but also just a spiritual death, a complete eternal separation from God. That's the death we're talking about. That's Satan's realm. And Jesus came to defeat that. To, Jesus came to be superior over it and be victorious over that. But he had to be fully human to enter into human death. It, here's my illustration. There was a movie in uh, the, the mid-1990s called Happy Gilmore. It was, if you're not familiar with okay, some of you have seen it. Uh, I saw it more than once back in, in those days. But <laughs> Happy Gilmore was a hockey goon who became a professional golfer. And he was a violent, foul-mouthed kind of a, a golfer. And that wasn't appreciated by the tour professionals. And there was uh, one instance where Happy got into a, a verbal altercation with Shooter McGavin, a uh, golf professional. And Happy said, you know, my, my goal now is to, is to beat you and defeat you. And Shooter said, I'd like to see that. At which Happy takes a glass bottle and breaks the end off it and threatens Shooter with, with the broken bottle. And Shooter says, whoa, 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 no, no, on the golf course. The point is, you can't defeat a professional golfer by beating them up in a bar fight. You have to beat them on the golf course. For Jesus Christ to defeat human death, he, it, it can't be from some other realm or some other context. You have to enter humanity and be killed and enter human death for that, to be, to, for that battle to happen. 
And Jesus did that. He entered human death, and he came out on the other side victorious, risen from the dead. And that's why it's important that we believe in Jesus' full humanity, because we needed a human to enter that death. But we need to believe that he was God, because only God is strong enough to defeat death. That's why we believe this. Now, that may sound fine to you or strange to you in a, it's sort of a theological idea, but it's extremely practical. And it's, it's, it applies to our everyday, everyday life. Look at, verse, look at verse 15. So when Jesus did this, it's to free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. Now, the fear of death is a very real thing and a very practical thing in our lives. There's people who respond out of fear of death all the time. They, you know, they prepare their homes and they, they're, they're paranoid and worried about you know, what kind of attack or bad things are going to happen to me or my family. And they're just constantly prepping and, and worried. Or other people, their fear of death drives them you know, to just be healthy and be, you know, be careful about the, the food they eat and just constantly trying to cheat death or prolong death. Or they'll do spiritual things to try to earn God's favor so that no harm will, will hurt them. And they just, they just spend so much time and energy and worry about, about death. And may, maybe you even fear your death. Maybe you're aging in your life and you're not sure how much time you have. Or maybe you're just trying to ignore this notion altogether. This is a very real, it's a nearly universal fear of death. But as we understand Jesus, fully God, fully human, capable of defeating human death, that not even death has the victory anymore in Jesus Christ. So we don't have to go about your day-to-day -day life so fearful that we are confident that the one in whom we put our faith, in whom we believe, holds all of life and death and offers us life eternal. It's, very, it's a very day-to-day -day practical thing. That's the first reason. So Jesus had to be fully God, fully human to defeat human death. Second thing, Jesus had to be fully God and fully human to be a perfect representative for humanity. See this in verse 17 in your text. For this reason, Jesus had to be, make, had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Jesus came to be our representative before God on behalf of all humanity, to be a high priest. Now, a high priest, later in the book of Hebrews, chapter 5, says this. It says, every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent them in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. So Jesus has come as a human to offer to God something on behalf of our sin and our failure. But he had to be fully human to do that. The same as we send representatives, say, from our country to compete in the Olympics. So every nation sends representatives from there to, to run in a track and field race. Now, what if we as a country, if we wanted to be smart, why wouldn't we send a racehorse, a thoroughbred, to run on the track and field? It's going to wipe out everybody from all those other countries. We're bound to get the gold. But you can't send a racehorse to race against humans. It doesn't, it's not the, that's not a suitable representative. 
Jesus had to be human in every way like us to stand before God as a representative and as a mediator. Because he's got a point of contact with humans in his human nature. In his divine nature, he's got a point of contact with God. And he can stand between and offer something to God. But he had to offer something that was perfect. And because he was fully God and fully divine, he, what he offered was perfect. He offered himself. But this is why the virgin birth is necessary. Because sin, if, if somebody is going to perfectly represent humanity without sin or blemish, we have all the sin that we do. The sins you've committed, your sinful actions, your sinful thoughts, your sinful motivations, all that stuff. But you've all, you inherited that nature. That, that the generations of sinful humans before you have so corrupted us that we, even from birth, are just broken in sin. So we, a human was needed that was not broken in sin from birth. That's why Jesus had to be conceived by the Holy Ghost in a virgin woman. So this now, Jesus doesn't carry this broken nature that God breaks in. That's why it's, it's necessary. Otherwise, it would just be another... Even as good as someone could be, just be another human, another broken human. That's why it's, this is absolutely not just, this isn't just flourish, this is absolutely necessary. But again, so what? What does this mean to, I gotta get up tomorrow and go to work. What does this mean? Or I gotta go to school tomorrow, I've got my, I gotta be in my neighborhood tomorrow, I gotta get the kids on the bus tomorrow. Whatever you have to do tomorrow, what does it matter? Well, this is hugely important. This means that Jesus came to deal with your sin. And let me tell you something about tomorrow. You're probably going to sin. Not because I'm being judgmental or mean, just because I know you. <laughs> and you know me. Tomorrow, I will likely sin and fall short of God's glory. I guarantee you. But you have a Savior who's dealt with your sin who has made a payment for your sin that you couldn't make. And he was the only one because he was perfectly God, but he was also fully human so that it all was good. Now, but what we do apart from Jesus, what we tend to do with our sin is two things. Some, one or the other or some combination of it. The first I'll call irreligion. So you sin, you struggle, and you just, who cares? You just, you give up. Why would I even try to follow God's way? I'm just going to... You know, I, I'm, a, I'm a screw up. I'm, I'm a human. You know, this is my human condition. To err is human. I'm just going to do what I want and just give up. Just ignoring God. I call that irreligion. But the other way we deal, people can deal with sin is through religion. Just trying to make up for the things you've done wrong and, and do spiritual practices to try to earn God's favor and to work really hard at that. So the problem with Religion is that you can never do enough to make up to God the things that we've done wrong because we're so completely corrupted. Because it's not just my sinful action or the sinful words I said, it's, it's all the motivations and all the junk that, went, that caused me to do that. And irreligion doesn't work either because as Scripture teaches, if you just continue to sin and you don't care, it's a spiral of death that you're experiencing. So we need a Savior, and here's the good news, a Savior has come. So tomorrow, when you sin, you can lean on that, and thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came 
and as my true high priest, and you offered something I could never offer, and we rest in that, and then we can pursue righteousness and obedience and goodness. Because we're free. We're free. We, don't have to, we don't have to constantly work to make it up, and we don't have to just let it keep happening. We receive forgiveness, and then we can press on. So when you fail at work, and when you drop the ball, it's not a fatal thing. And Nobody in this room, not one person is beyond the grace of God. You don't know what I've done. You don't know how bad it's been. You are not beyond the grace of God. So we receive it and we can move on day by day, moment by moment. This is why it's so fundamental to our faith that we believe <laughs> that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Ghost, fully divine, born of the Virgin Mary, fully human. It makes this all possible. All right, the third thing. The third reason why this had to be this way was so that Jesus could help us. Look at verse 18. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. And remember, the, the context here is about Jesus being superior to, to angels. So this whole Jesus coming to save and to be the high priest isn't about angels, it's about humans. And because Jesus was fully human, he can understand the human condition in a way that an angel can't. And Jesus is our great comforter. He, he said, I'm going to leave my spirit. The spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, is with us. And because Jesus was human, God understands humanity in a way that, let's say, let's say your main comfort in life was an angel. That angel cannot bring you great comfort. So let's say you had an angel. Let's, let's, I'll, I'll, I'll play the angel role for you. And I got my, I have a little halo. So, for those listening online, I'm putting on my halo. Let's say this was your greatest comfort in life. Okay, we'll just pretend. You already know this isn't going to be good. But so you're going to pray to JP Angel. You could pray, uh, Angel, um, I I'm struggling. I'm having trouble holding on to my faith. And an angel, uh, I'm tempted to not even pray. An angel, I'm tempted, I'm tempted to sin. And I'm struggling in my walk with God. Angel, can you help me? This is what the angel would say. This is actually the words of uh, a great preacher, Charles Spurgeon, who... Um, he didn't wear this. You weren't there. This is what the angel would say to you. <clears throat> I cannot sympathize with you. I am an angel. I am not tempted as you are. I have no clogging nature to abate my ardent zeal. But day without night, with unflagging wing, I circle his throne rejoicing. Nor do I have any wish nor will to depart from my great maker? To which you would say, well, that's no comfort to me. <laughs> so we go to Jesus, who does understand this. Hebrews 4 says, we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. So we go to Jesus, and you can say, Jesus, I'm struggling with God's will in my life right now. 
And Jesus says, been there. Jesus, I've been hurt by people in my life. People who I trusted, people who I loved have hurt me. Jesus understands. Jesus, I'm just tired. I'm just, I've been going and I've been serving and I've been doing all this. I am exhausted. And Jesus said, yeah, I got tired too. Jesus went through the human condition, everything that we experience, yet without sin. So not only are you going to someone who understands, but who can show you that there is a way through temptation where you do not have to fail. That no temptation is too much, as Scripture teaches. No temptation is, is going to face you that's, that is beyond what a human can handle. And with temptation, God provides us a way out so that we can stand up under it. Tomorrow, this time tomorrow, you will be tempted to sin. Whether it's gossip or lack of generosity or materialism or anger or lust or unforgiveness or whatever sin you will be tempted with, we have a Savior who has been there who said, look, I, I know how you feel, but there's a way out. I'm your comfort. I believe that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Therefore, I believe that God came to us in human flesh to face off and defeat death so I don't have to be afraid, ever. I believe that he did that to be my representative before God, to offer a sacrifice to God to pay the penalty for my sin so I don't have to, I don't have to just wallow in my sin, nor do I have to make up for it, but he's done it for me so I can press on. And I believe that the God of the universe truly understands my human condition and can truly comfort me in my trials and my temptations. That's what I believe.